Welcome to the Waiting Warriors podcast. I'm Michelle Bowler. I'm an army wife of over eight years, a mom of four little girls, and a huge believer that being a supportive military or first responder loved one is way easier when you connect with the community. In addition to sharing some of my own insights and journey, I have set out to interview Waiting Warriors around the world so we can all learn together from their triumphs and their struggles. Together, we can do so much more than just survive. We can thrive. And that is what being a waiting warrior is all about. Hey, waiting warriors out there. Welcome to another week on the podcast. Fair warning, like warning label across the front. You might want some tissues today. I'll tell you why in a second. Today, we have Jen Henriksen coming on the show. Welcome to the show, Jen. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Um, so let me tell you why you want, might want some tissues. So Jen works in real estate in Texas. Her late husband, who we'll be talking about that whole experience, was a law enforcement officer in California for 15 years. Also, they are super incredible. They have four kids, two of which aren't even is biological. Like you did not bear those children through different family circumstances. They, her husband and her really stepped up and have taken care of these two wonderful kids. So she's got four daughters. So yes, spoiler, (laughs) she's a a widow. Um, just grab the tissues. Um, but I wanted to bring Jen on. Um, she was recommended by somebody else who's done an interview for the podcast and loves this community because it's been amazing what you guys have been through, but then also what the law enforcement community has done. So let's reverse now that we are ready to, to, to receive. Um, what happened? You're serving for 15 years as a law enforcement officer or you're an officer's wife. Um, mm-hmm. Not that like life is hunky dory, but, but what I guess just give a little background. What was your life that like, um, and then how did things unfold? Um, so yeah, so first I actually I have three daughters and one son. My youngest oh, is my I, son. Yes, yes. <laughs> nope, nope. I have okay. four daughters. You have four <laughs> yes, yes. Um, and yeah, no, my husband and I met um, right after I graduated high school, actually about three months after I graduated high school, mm-hmm. um, fell in love, got married, we were 20 and 21, just kind of, you know, two years after meeting, it was crazy, everyone thought we were crazy, but mm-hmm. we went for it, and then um, about a year and a half after uh, we got married, my mother passed away, and so we, that was when we took guardianship of my sister, my youngest sister, who was five at the time, and she's now my oldest daughter, which totally confuses everybody, but um, so, but she's um, 20 now, and then, um, so once we had her, we were like, let's, you know, let's get things, you know, started with, you know, having the rest of our kids and whatnot, so um and actually, time timing wise, um, my mother actually passed away four days after Kyle graduated the police academy. Oh. So yeah, so it was very so when we got married, he was going to school, he's gonna be a teacher. We said <laughs> I do, and three months later he's like, Oh, I want to go into law enforcement. And so I'm like, okay. <laughs> so um, so yeah, so he decided and he was the kind of man that once he decided to do something, mm-hmm. he was all in and did it. And 
so yeah, so then we had my, my sister and then had my other daughter and two years later had my son. And, um, around, um, the time, like about two weeks after my son was born, he actually lateral transferred. He worked, he started working for the, his first job in law enforcement was, the, was with the sheriff's department with Alameda County. Um, and then he lateral transferred over to Pleasanton PD. Um, and then he worked there for, um, he was there for 11 years. Um, in 2015 was when we actually got our fourth child. Um, and that is my niece, Alyssa. It was actually his, his brother's daughter. Um, we lost his brother very unexpectedly. Um, and he was a single dad. So we, um, we took her in and she kind of just was the piece that was missing, I guess you could say. Mm -hmm. Um, so, um, life was crazy, busy. Um, like you said, I'm in real estate. I coach competitive cheer, all of my girls cheer. My youngest, my son plays all the sports that, you know, you can think of. And so we were just busy and doing our thing. And then, um, in October of 2018, after about probably about eight months of having some like stomach issues, couldn't really figure out what was going on. Kyle, um, came home from work one night. We had dinner. He said, he really like, I'm not feeling good. Something's going on. We went to the ER thinking maybe he had like a gallbladder issue or something. Yeah. And, um, after some tests and a CT, they found a mass on his pancreas and fluid in his abdomen, um, about a week and a half after a biopsy. And about a week later, we found out that he had stage four, uh, sorry, stage four pancreatic cancer that had metastasized to his stomach lining. Mm -hmm. And so, um, he was only 36 and, uh, we were of course in shock. Um, when I first found out that it was pancreatic cancer, my first, the first words out of my mouth were that's, that's the worst cancer that, you know, and unfortunately our ER doctor, um, probably just going through the motions. Um, her response was no, it's not the worst brain cancer is the worst, but this is probably second. So it was, it was very I'm like, okay, that's not comforting yeah. at all. But, <laughs> um, and so we just kind of went into, um, you know, survival mode. Um, we were having issues with our insurance and we kind of went and I wanted him, um, out of his normal primary care and into a cancer facility that, you know, specialized in this sort of cancer. So yeah. after some, um, some fighting and, um, <laughs> taking our story public with, um, you know, all of, with all of the support that we had. Um, I somehow managed to, um, get him in to see a specialist at Stanford, um, come to find out he was one of the top GI oncologists in the state of California. Um, yeah, top in his game. Um, he specialized in pancreatic cancer and he was amazing. So, um, he immediately got us enrolled in a trial drug and, um, it was, so he did standard chemotherapy with a trial drug of immunotherapy. Um, everything was going well. So that was in November, um, by probably February, um, the spots on his stomach lining were almost too small to even biopsy mm -hmm. and the spot on his pancreas was almost completely gone. And so things were looking really, really well. Um, and we were, you know, obviously very excited mm -hmm. and, um, and then I think it was about March, um, his kidneys started showing, um, issues. And so they put him on a chemo break to kind of give his kidneys a chance to, to relax. Um, and he was on that break for maybe about two months. Um, and in that two months, his kidney function completely recovered, but besides on his pink, the spot on his pancreas actually ended up increasing in size. 
And when that happened, he could no longer continue in, with the trial immunotherapy drug. So he was um, removed from the trial and then put on a, a different um, chemotherapy, um, still very strong, but um, that lasted probably until the end of July. And one day it was actually um, throughout all of this, my husband had gone before he'd gotten diagnosed, he had gone back to school to get his degree. He was planning on finally promoting and stuff like that at work. And um, it was actually on the day of his graduation to get his bachelor's degree. Um, he was not filling up to going. So I went on his behalf and um, the kids and I accepted his, his diploma and he was um, awarded an, an award, the Mark Dunnigan Award. We accepted all that on his behalf. And when I got home that afternoon, he had told me that he hadn't been able to eat and the need to go to the emergency room. And uh, we went in and that's when we found out that he had had um, the stomach, the Mets on his stomach had started causing blockages um, to where he was no longer able to digest food. And so, yeah, he did, uh, they transferred him to the hospital there. He did about eight days. They started him on um, something called TPN, which is a liquid nutrition. Um, and they sent us home with that. And they taught me how to, um, it's a, basically, it looks like a bag of milk that I would um, insert um, vitamins into every day and then hook it up to his port. And he would stay on that for about 12 hours. That was the only way that he was getting any sort of nutrients or anything. Um, yeah. And so he um, survived with that until um, he did a couple, one more, sorry, I think he did a, a one more stay in the hospital because um, he was just drunk too much weight and he wasn't able to keep anything down even. Um, so your stomach, even if you're not eating, it still fills with things. And because nothing was digesting, he was still getting sick and stuff like that. And so, um, yeah, he ended up back in the hospital. Um, and this is probably about September. And at the end of September, early October, when he was discharged that time, he was discharged with an NG tube that was supposed to help kind of extricate everything that was um, coming into his belly. And yeah. um, by the end of that day, when we went home, we met with his oncologist and it was his advice at that point to stop treatment. At that point, it was just, there was nothing really we could do. Um, I immediately went into, um, you know, fight mode again, you know, I said, like, you know, we'll get a second opinion. Let's find someone else. Well, let's, what do we can, what do we, what are we going to do now? And, um, on the way home from that appointment that day, he looked at me and I said, you know, what do you want me to do? Who do, who do I call? What do I do? Yeah. And he looked at me and he said, I'm, I'm tired. Like I'm, I, I'm done. And so, um, that was about the one year mark from diagnosis and he died five days later. So it was, uh, it was, um, he had always said from the beginning that when he went, he wanted to go on his terms. So that was his, you know, um, I think if I had pushed, he probably would have gone and done anything that I had wanted him to, cause that's just the kind of man he was. Um, but he was tired and he had, he put up, we had said, you know, when he was first diagnosed, he had less than a 2% chance of even developing that sort of cancer at his age. So I was like, your age is going to, you know, we're going to, we're going to kick cancers, you know, but we're going to do what we need to do. And, um, and he did, he, you know, we made, we did everything that we could, but yeah. Cancer sucks. Like <laughs> it really, it really, and until it, I think affects you personally it's you know 
and it, yeah. And it was, I mean, it was such a shock to our family and yeah. Yeah. So um, you kind of, you kind of brushed on it that you had, you had a lot of support and that's how you got like the insurance to get their stinking together. Yeah. All we needed was a referral. That's all we wanted from the insurance was a referral. And you know, it's so hard sometimes for some reason. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. What was that support like? Like, was that just his um, department? Cause I mean, obviously like somebody gets cancer and everybody's going to find out about it or what, who, and what did that look like? So, um, it actually, so what it was when we first wanted to get into Stanford, um, the, the only way we could get in there because the, like I said, it was all we needed was a referral. Our insurance would not give us the referral. We were fighting them. So I was like, well, we're just going to go in and as cash paying. And that's how we'll at least get in the door, at least get an appointment and get a second opinion. Um, In order to do that, though, I mean, just like a a cash appointment starts at like $2,000 with Stanford. It's crazy expensive. Yeah, for 20 minutes. And so um, (laughs) one of my friends suggested, um, why don't you start like a small GoFundMe and, you know, we'll kind of share it with, you know, and so that's what we did. And when we did that, um it just, it kind of blew up from there. And he had always, so he'd only worked with Alameda County for four years before he transferred. And, but he had remained very close with a lot of his, his deputy buddies from there. Um, and I had remained close with their wives. We joke that we're the, we're the deputy wives. If you find us, you know, we're like, we're the deputy wives. And I was always the honorary deputy wife because that's where Kyle had started his career. Um, and then PP Pleasanton PD um, is a smaller department. I want to say less than less than like eighty officers sworn. Um, big, our you know really tight knit family. Um, great group of just men and women, the best you could ever imagine. And when we first you know went public with everything, they they immediately the POA, which you know Kyle happened to be almost you know very very close with the POA president. Kyle sat on the POA with them, so he was you know very close with all of them, and so they started just doing hosting fundraisers for us and in in honor of us. And I mean different things. I mean they had bracelets made that the entire department wore. Um, you know they did. Um, one of, as, as I'm sure most departments have like their spots that all the cops like to go and eat at. And mm-hmm. one of the local spots in town offered to do this big fundraiser for like, and the proceeds from all the food sold that day was going to go back to, to our fight and yeah. um, just kind of things like that. And um, I mean, it was just crazy. We were getting phone calls and one of his buddies that he worked with um, was an SRO, a school resource officer. And the whole fifth grade class had um, taken time um, and had written get well notes and stories and stuff with pictures. And I mean, I have a box, like a cardboard box that's filled with these cards from these kids that are just, you know, wishing Kyle to get better. And um, a lot of them actually, so um, Kyle, the last four years of his career was a motors officer. And he used to make it a point during the summer that he would carry cash on him 
so that anytime he saw like a, a kid's like lemonade stand or anything, like he would stop and make a point to like buy lemonade and, you know, talk to kids, you know, cause they think it's cool. You know, the cops yeah. stopped and, you know, and so, um, and a lot of the kids actually remember him doing that. Like there were a couple notes in there. They're oh. like, you came to my lemonade stand, you know, my mom reminded me that you were the officer and, you know, things like that. And so just, I mean, I want to say every day, someone from his department was popping by, you know, to check on us. Um, and then it even went a little bit further. And so Kyle um, worked for a department that was about 45 minutes from where we lived. He worked out of town. Okay. Um, and so the city that we live in, I'll never forget one day, I, I had got home from running an errand and I was going to walk inside and there was these two gentlemen parked in a car out in front of my house, which kind of was odd. But yeah. I was, you know, I like walk in and then a few minutes later, my doorbell rings and it's two, um, they were detectives with the city that we lived in, Manteca PD, two detectives with Manteca PD. And they, they said, Hey, we got word of what you guys are going through. Uh, we just wanted to let you know that our agency is here for anything that you guys might need. Um, you know, just let us know, um, you know, I mean, just anything basically. And, and, and there was at one point where, um, I was able to call one of those officers and ask for a favor and, you know, they got it done for me right away. And they were just, um, anytime someone came to, it wasn't, they weren't empty gestures. They weren't empty promises. They were just, they were genuine. His fight is our fight. We're here. We're family. You know, what can we do? And so, and when I say the stretch of, of the, the, you know, support it you know it wasn't just his department it wasn't his former department it was where we lived it was other agencies that he had worked with throughout the Oakland PD you know you know Fremont PD Hayward like all these other agencies all kind of came together and um they did a cuts for Kyle where all the guys in his department they had um one of the local barbers came out when Kyle lost his hair and they all shaved their heads um and like did this whole video and it was just it was the sweetest and then some of the guys that were already bald they had they had they had signs that said you know already bald would have done it but we're already bald you know and things so just to kind of like lift his spirits um there was an amazing woman that was um one of the um like uh, volunteer officers that had worked with Pleasanton PD for years that Kyle had worked with for years mm -hmm. who was actually battling her second round of um I believe it was breast cancer I could be wrong but she was going through her second round of cancer herself and mm -hmm. she had finished treatment and her hair had just started growing back and she went when they did the cuts for Kyle and sat in the chair and uh her net was in her name was Annette Graybert amazing lady and uh she shaved her head and she was and they asked her they said Annette your hair just started going back. What yeah. are you doing? And she was like, it's for Kyle, anything for Kyle. And so it was just, I mean, things like that where, you know, it was truly remarkable how they all, um, I'm trying to think of all the things. One of the guys that he worked with had a connection. My husband was a huge hockey fan, loved the San Jose Sharks. And one of the guys that he worked with had a connection with someone in the San Jose Sharks and was able to, um, set us up with a suite and we were able to bring all of our friends and to watch a sharks game and we're sitting in the suite and um anyone who's a sharks fan out there will will probably find this funny because i had no idea who this person was but as we're sitting there this gentleman walks in and i'm assuming he works with the sharks you know somehow uh -huh. and i went to ask him a question about like drinks or something and kyle walked up behind me and he was like don't say anything and i was like okay why so it was um his name is Owen Nolan and he is um a former Sharks player that was like the goat apparently just like the greatest you know Sharks player and 
Uh he like came into our suite and met us all and you know just was the nicest guy ever and Kyle was just awestruck like he just couldn't believe it um he signed Kyle's jersey and you know and I'll never forget the last thing he said when he walked out and he was like you're gonna beat this you got this and like knuckled and then like walked he was just so things like that that like and they were all like you know that was because of one of the guys that he worked with that just wanted to you know give Kyle a nice night and stuff so it was incredible yeah it's it's incredible how how many people came together like it's Mm -hmm. it's incredible but Mm -hmm. also like it's incredible to think that like it's not like any well I mean I don't know but like it doesn't sound like anybody donated twenty thousand dollars to you know here go go get your treatment like it's it's so many um small things Mm -hmm. that have 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 created such a beautiful community mm-hmm. that are coming together and just a loving on your family. And it's, it's amazing to watch. It really, it really was. Um, the day actually, um, the day that Kyle passed earlier that morning, um, they had made arrangements and unfortunately he wasn't filling up to it. He wasn't able to come outside, but, um, all the departments that he had. So when he worked in motors, they did a lot of work with interagency. Like they did a lot of work with outside agencies and stuff um, on the, on the freeways and highways, just different, you know, um, projects and stuff like that. Um, all the guys that he had worked with. And I, I don't even know how many agencies they were, but they had made um, a plan and they had actually did a ride for Kyle and they all rode from the Bay area out to our house, which is probably about an hour ride. Mm-hmm. Um drove down my street. Um, Kyle wasn't filling up to coming out. So we thank God for modern technology. We were able to FaceTime him while he was upstairs. And yeah. I mean, there was probably 30 to 50, maybe motorcycle guys. Um, his partners were there. Mm-hmm. Um, one of his partners that he had ridden with for the last four years actually rode his bike, um, brought it and um, had presented Kyle with a picture of his all of his motors team that they had taken like by the San Francisco bridge, I believe, um, or the Golden Gate Bridge. And it just said, you know, like, we all love you. We're thinking about you, but just like little things like that. Like I'm, I, they keep popping into my head. Like I just, there were so many things that his department did, not even just monetarily, but just to show that they're here. Like we're, you know, we're here for you, whatever, you know, whatever you need, this is our, you know, they just showed us support at every turn. It was incredible. Yeah. And which is like, it's so interesting because you think like that's a problem that no one can fix right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. sorry we, no. we lost my husband's brother a, a few years ago to cancer and it like it's just you know but like it's a fight like no one can fix it right like you you probably long to take it away and and even after the specialist the number one guy was like you know my recommendation is to stop you're still like ready okay what else do i need to do mm-hmm. and that they still just found ways to show love and support and like but that's i don't know like that's not what i want to do when there's a problem i want to fix it and then i get mm-hmm. lost in the i can't fix it but like what has that meant still having just the support and the love you know what I mean like like he he passed 
-hmm. and, and we can't bring him back, but yet people are still showing up for you. Like what, what does that, not what does that Uh, do, but do you, do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's, um, it's insane. It's, I still, um, it's been, um, it was a year in October that he, that he died. And, um, since then, um, the kids and I decided we wanted a fresh start. So we moved from California where I was born and raised, never lived anywhere else and moved out to Texas where I have a couple friends that lived out here. My sisters are out here. Um, just kind of wanted, you know, fresh scenery and that sort of thing. And, um, in the year leading up to moving out here, I mean, I'm talking at least once a week, one of, I always say his guys, someone from the PD would call or send a text or, you know, just, Hey, how are things going? Um, his most partner, um, who's just an incredible guy, um, really after the weeks after, um, Kyle passed and leading up to his service and stuff, I was just overwhelmed with just Mm -hmm. the, the planning and just getting everything kind of, you know, together and ready. And, um, my son, you know, he was, um, just kind of hanging out and he's the only boy in the house now. And so my husband's partner, his motor's partner, like not made it his mission, but just kind of took it upon himself that he would, he came over to my house every day and would take Cohen on a bike ride or take him to go get ice cream or food or just kind of, and ever since then he checks in on him every couple of weeks, just, Hey bud, how's it going? Do you, you know, like how's school? How's your sports out there? Like he just still you know, to this day is reaching out and, you know, checking on him. And, um, before our, before this, um, interview tonight, one of Kyle's partners from back home, like gave me a call and he was like, Hey, just calling to check in. Like, how are you guys doing? Um, you know, this, this thing happened, you know, just kind of just there, I mean, they're still, they're still showing up. It's in, it's insane. When I decided to move, um, I didn't have to hire movers. I had, you know, five of his guys from the PD came and completely loaded my truck for me. One of his um, very good friends that he worked with at Alameda County at his old apartment um, drove my U-Haul for me. He and his wife, who both worked with Kyle at ACSO, yeah, drove my U-Haul for me, moved me into my home in Texas. Um, I mean, just things like that where they just, I, it's crazy. Um, and so they, um, we were obviously like the, the one year anniversary of his passing. We were very, I, I was dreading it. I, I didn't know, you know, how it was going to be or anything. And, um, his, his department, they, um, they made arrangements with a local theater out here. And so anyone who knew Kyle, huge star Wars fan, I'm talking like, sleeve tattoo star wars fan like die hard star wars fan um and so um they had made arrangements and had rented out a theater out here mm-hmm. and um had a special showing of star wars the empire strikes back and for just me and my friends that are out here and stuff and i had a couple friends that were visiting from california for for the week and stuff just to be with me mm-hmm. and so we all go to the theater and they had actually been in contact with two local P- PDs out here, the, the city where we live in and the, the um, neighboring city. And yeah. when we showed up at the theater, there were lines of their patrol cars, lights going. Um, they had uh, one of our kind of like our, our hashtag throughout our fight was Kyle's Village. 
because I always, I've always said it takes a village. It takes a village to just be able to do the things that you want to do. And we had an incredible village. And so um, it was the Star Wars logo with the blue line that said Kyle's Village. And they had put these signs up all over their cars, all over the seat. Um, they, they greeted us. They, you know, gave us big hugs and just, you know, reminded us that even we live, you know, 1600 miles away from our, our home PD, our home guys, that we have a family here. And I mean, we're, I mean, it's Texas versus California, like we're so far away. And they were like, you know, we've heard the story. They had talked to the guys at the PD where Kyle worked. And he was like, our goal is, you know, we know that they'll always be your guys, but we want to be, you know, your guys's second family here. And Mm -hmm. it was, I mean, just, it's insane. It's incredible. The night ended up being so just full of just love and and laughter and the kids thought it was just the coolest thing they had gotten us a gift card so they could order anything they want from the concession stand which I'm sure all of us moms out there are like yeah. oh no 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 like you get one popcorn to share and a soda to share because it's so expensive but I told the kids I'm like you guys can each have your own popcorn your own soda mm-hmm. like they just I mean they loved it and it was you know it was a memory that you know we'll, we'll always have and now you know, I, I, it wasn't something, it, I, it turned something very dreadful into something that was pretty, pretty amazing. So, and then all the guys back home all got together and kind of raised a beer in Kyle's name and they FaceTimed us and they were just like, Hey, like we're all here. So they just, it's, um, it's truly, I mean, I can't even, they, um, they took his old locker that he had in the locker room and um, I actually had left, I left um, one uniform and one of his, a pair of his boots in the locker. And he had a, um, a sticker on the front of his locker that said, may the force be with you. And like, none of the lockers had anything on them in the entire locker room, except for Kyle's had the may the force be with you <laughs> sticker on it. Um, and so they retired his locker. So no one will ever use it. Um, if they ever move PDs or upgrade or anything like that, his will stay completely intact. Um, and one of his good buddies that he was in motors with does woodworking and he made him a plaque that sits above it that, you know, says his name and stuff. And it's, I mean, just things like that, like they, you know, are, they've memorialized him more. I just, he'll never be like, their goal is that, you know, any incoming officer that had the pleasure of working with him will know exactly who he was, what he did. And just, yeah. you know, his, it's, it's just incredible. Yeah. Yeah. What is it like, what is it about? the law enforcement community that makes, doesn't like make them rally, but that like has, has sparked this. Like I, I know like they're, they're supporting their person, but like that's, that just seems to be what law enforcement does. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like law, yeah. enforcement, law enforcement wives, like you guys just become family in a way that is amazing and unreal you know what I mean like yeah it it truly is it's incredible I just and I'd always heard it I'd always heard like oh you know the the thin blue line and we're all family Mm -hmm. and you feel it you really do but then going through what we went through it's I mean I don't even have words to describe it and Mm -hmm. and we always have like I've always you do you kind of have this connection when you meet another you know law enforcement officer's wife or spouse. And, you know, we understand that, like I always say, like I get cops, like I get, they have a very unique personality that has to go with the job that they do. They have, 
you know, in in insane hours that, you know, most families, I remember when my daughter was by three and um, dad had to work on Christmas because it's Christmas and in a cop's world like that, it doesn't matter. And so, and we'd always adjusted like, okay, dad had to work tonight. So we celebrate tomorrow or we celebrate the night before we, you know, we made adjustments. But I remember my daughter saying, you know, I think she was like three or four and she's like, mommy, well, daddy has to work still because the bad guys don't take breaks. I said, that is unfortunately right. You know, yep, daddy has to work still. So I think when you meet someone else that's kind of in that first responder world, because one of the the ladies that I used to work with at my old office, her husband, um, a fire captain, and she came in and it was around Christmas time and she was devastated because it was around Christmas. And she just so, and she was like, and I was like, I get it. Like I do, like it just, you know, I'm like, it's, and so I think kind of like those bonds, you know, you go hours without being able to contact them or hear from them or, you know, where I think someone else that might have a more, you know, civilian type job or they're, you know, at a desk or whatever, they can text you right back or they can give you a call where, you know, it would be hours. And then, you know, you'll, you're watching stuff on the news. Like I remember when he used to have to go over and, you know, do crowd control and stuff like that for riots or anything that was kind of going on, you're watching it unfold on the news. Yeah. And you, but you can't talk to them. You can't, you know, so I feel like kind of going through those situations, it, it does, it bonds you with other, you know, spouses that feel the same. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what, like, like losing, losing your loved one is like everybody's nightmare, right? Especially in the jobs that our husbands do, like military and first responder, like, a firefighter could go into a building and it come down mm-hmm. off of like police officers, especially with the way the world, the world is today, like riots happening all the time. Like you never know what's going to happen. It's the same with military. And yet you, you lost him in like the unexpected way. Like, yeah. is, like to me, like, does that feel or did that ever feel like weird and surreal? Like you, I almost feel like we all have our guard up and we're almost half prepared mm-hmm. for, you know, the certain kind of having to say goodbye. Like, like right. I just talked to my parents, like, Hey, Austin, and I have had the conversation of if he's deployed and something happens, just, so you know, like I'm moving in with you with the kids. Yeah. 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 Because we've had that talk. Right. Like, I don't, I'm not prepared for cancer. Like, how do you, do you feel like it helped? Do you like having that mentality that something could happen? Did that help with the unexpectedness of cancer or does it just? So I think, um, I think like you're saying, like I, I do, there is, I did, I've always had kind of a a preparedness, like a, like a, you know, like a, okay. Like it could, it could very well happen. Like this could happen. And, um, in in fact, when he first told me that he wanted to be a police officer all those years ago, my first, my first, the first thing out of my mouth was, I mean, I was 22 at the time. And I I said, I don't want to be a widow at 25. Like, no, you're not going to be a police officer. Like I was not, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't initially supportive. I of of course became very supportive, but initially I was like, absolutely not. I was marrying a teacher, not, um, you know, a police officer and someone who's going to go and put their life on the line every single day. Um, so there was, I mean, no, I never, I never, 
I mean, you can be as prepared as, as you, as you think you can be, you know, being in our position and knowing what they have to go out and do every day for their job and stuff. But no, I don't know that it made it any, I was never, I never imagined that this would, this would have been it. This is what, you know, I never, so no, I don't think, I don't think I was, I mean, you know, I, I don't know what it would have been like, obviously, to have lost him very suddenly. But I, I can say that because of of the circumstances in which I did, um, there were conversations that were had that I feel very grateful to be able to have. Um, you know, nothing, nothing went left unsaid. Nothing was left unfelt. You know, we had in that year. Um, I mean, unimaginable uh, hypothetical conversations that we had had in the past. Like, you know, we used to joke that he, you know, he'd say like, oh, if something happened to you, babe, like I would just hire a nanny. And then of course I would have to marry her, you know, like the, you know, the hypothetical and, you know, and I would joke that, you know, oh, if anything happened to you, like I would never remarry. I would just be, you know, I would just be free and whatever, like just, you know, but then when, when the time came to actually have those conversations and him to tell me, you know, if this doesn't go how we want it to, um, you, you know, I promised him, you know, like you need to move on. I want you to move on. I want you to be happy. You're, you're young. And I, you know, joking, of course, you know, jokingly, I'm like, okay, I'm so young, but I mean, I've got four kids, like who's going to want to date, me, you know, <laughs> and so, you know, but we still were able to kind of, you know, have those kind of just like, he just basically was like, it's okay. It's okay. Whatever. I want you to continue to live life, you know? And one of the first things he said after he was diagnosed, it was when, within the first couple of weeks, he kind of looked at me one night and he said, I've done more in 36 years than most people have in 80. I'm, I'm okay. Like I've lived like we, and we did, we, you know, we did all the things that we were supposed to, you know, and that's, you know, I struggle with this. I tell all my friends, I'm, I'm always the bright side. I'm, you know, everything happens for a reason. There's silver lining. I get everything. This I struggle with because we did what we were supposed to do. We loved each other. We loved our family. We loved our friends. We took the trips. We, you know, made memories. We went on adventures. We did all those things. And, you know, to lose him was just, I don't, I don't understand what, what the, you know, I don't know what was the lesson there. Um, I'm told it'll come. I don't know what it was, but, um, but I don't think anything could have prepared me for, for this, but I am grateful to be able to have had those conversations. Yeah. Yeah. Would you give any advice to, I mean, really anybody, but particularly service, service member spouses, like, you know, because, because it, it is hard with what our husbands do to, um, make the time for mm -hmm. everything that really does matter in life. Mm -hmm. um, so do you have, you know, you have a perspective that nobody wants, but is, is so, not, grand's not the word, but, but, but do you know what I mean? Like if anybody mm -hmm. has a perspective that we want advice from, your, yours is so much bigger than ours. What, what would yeah. your advice be? Um, I think it would be, it would be say yes to, to the adventures and say yes to, um, you know, the, the memories and just to really live 
because you know and I I mean that's the old adage tomorrow is never promised and that has been become so blatantly clear um even in the year that he was fighting cancer and he was so sick and the um you know pancreatic pancreatic cancer treatment is just absolutely atrocious the kind what they have to do but we still I mean we had a we used to camp all the time we went on two camping trips while he was fighting cancer we went to Hawaii like we did all those things that you know we never we never stopped um he was very good and a lot of his partners at work would tell you too he was very good um at when he was at work it was work but when he was at home he was at home he wasn't most people that met him off the job never in a million years would guess that he was a police officer because when he was home he was Kyle he was dad he was husband he was son and friend and he and he was really good at that and so um I think it was more him that made you know those kind of things possible and like our his work-life balance was he had mastered it I mean I wish he would have had time to write a book about it because <laughs> you know because that's everyone's goal in life is to find the yeah. work-life balance and he had you know he and when he and he was a you know a well-decorated officer and very well respected and everybody loved him but when he was at home and and everyone at, at work knew that his number one top priority was always going to be his family. It would always be us. And so, and he was very good at making that clear. And, um, and I think because of that, like we just, you know, that job is so demanding. It's, you know, you, you probably even more than me know, but that those jobs are so, they, they take so much from them. So for him to be able to still come home and, you know, you know, he was at the baseball, he coached baseball, he was at the baseball games, he was begrudgingly at his daughter's cheer competitions, <laughs> things like that, you know, like he just, he was, he was there, and, and we did, like, we just, we never stopped living, um, we never stopped, uh, you know, like his, you know, the kids would, um, they would joke, like, so we would take random days, we'd go to the beach, or we'd go up to big trees out there, you know, whatever, and we'd all get in the car and like dad would sit there and he'd be like, guess what day it is guys. And everyone would kind of look around and be like adventure day. And like, that was just like his thing. Like we were going on an adventure, whether it was just, you know, driving, you know, 10 minutes up the road, but we were going to have an adventure. And so, um, I am so incredibly grateful that he was, that he was who he was because, um, he did, I mean, we do, we so many memories, the kids, you know, we have a little memory jar that we write down, you know, our favorite memories of dad and, you know, things like that. And everyone used to give me the hardest time because I would have my phone out, not in like a bad way, but I was constantly recording and taking pictures and things like that. And so, and even now we have, we have all, you know, those things kind of still, we have proof of all of our, our adventures, but I think that my, my biggest advice would be to just, just to live, don't, don't let the job you know, don't everything as hard as that is like, you know, really, really know what's important and, and to just, and say yes to adventures. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. What's yeah. your, what's your key to thriving? Because I know you've been through, you know, you, you guys lived life so well and then survival mode. And I, I don't even think there's a word for for what you're in, but what, what gets you to feeling that thriving point that you'd want to share with your fellow waiting warriors? Um, I think aside from my kids, which have 
fully kept me going. There were days where if it weren't for them, I don't know that I would get out of bed. Like I just, I have to get out of them. Um, but I think it was just, um, I had promised him. I promised him that no matter what, I would continue to to live life as, as we always had. And um, I would continue to make memories with the kids. And um, I, I promised him that his kids would always, always remember him. That was kind of, my son was young when he was diagnosed, he was only 10. And so, um, you know, his worry was that, you know, his son wouldn't remember him, you know, and I, you know, but I promised him that, no, he would, he will always know who his dad was, but I just, I think it was just that promise to him that I would keep going and I would always keep going. And there's a reason there really is, if I haven't, I know that I haven't found it yet, but there is a reason why things happen. And, um, I have to, you know, fulfill my promise. Yeah. And sometimes it's those promises and just the, the knowledge that we just need to live life. I like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. If somebody wants to connect with you, I know you're like public about your story. (laughs) I am. To, to Mm -hmm. do things and cheer on, um, Kyle's village. What, how, how, what's the best way for them to do that and to say thank you and connect with you? Um, I'm on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter, all just at Jen Henriksen, um, the spelling that's right there. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, follow me. I am public. I promised everyone when I left California, they were like, please continue to share your journey. And so I do, I, you know, I'll send updates, um, the good, the bad, the ugly. And um, it has really been, um, I think, kind of sharing my journey. Um, I've always been a pretty open person, but now I'm really, you know, kind of opening it up to the masses, but hearing what, what I'm going through and just kind of like, just, you know, some of the everydays and, you know, has really helped me. Um, I receive a lot of feedback from people that are just, you know, they love, they keep telling me how much they love hearing it, how I've, you know, my saying that I got out of bed today and that was it. That's all I did. I got out of bed is help them, you know, you know, get out of bed themselves and, it's kind of become therapeutic to me. So I do, I'm grateful for our village. I'm grateful that they, they still are rooting for us and supporting us. And so, yeah, so any of those platforms, feel free to come check it out. (laughs) Awesome. And we'll link all those things in the show notes. If it's easier, if you're watching on YouTube, they'll be just in the, I'm like showing, you know, (laughs) or whatever below. Um, thank you so much. I know like losing someone is never, ever easy. I can't imagine losing your own spouse. And yet you are so open to share the beauty and the love that has come from such a loss. So thank you so much for coming on and sharing with us and waiting warriors. Just remember just because it's hard doesn't mean it has to be miserable. Have a good week guys. And thanks again, Jen. Thank you. Hey, Waiting Warriors, if you are in the middle of a deployment, heading into one, or shoot, you're just a military spouse who wants to like get ahead of the deployment game, I have created a free resource just for you. It's a PDF file called Three Ways to Set Up Your Marriage for a Successful Deployment. It is 
three quick things that you can do with your spouse that I've done with mine that really helped us through our number of separations. If you're watching on YouTube, there will be a link just in the caption. You can go to my website, thewainingwarriors.com, and there's a yellow link with it on the top right, or you can go to subscribepage.com slash three, like the number three, ways to set up your marriage for a successful deployment. Okay, there will be a link in the bio in the show notes if you need it. Go check that out, please. Take care of yourself, take care of your marriage, be intentional, and let me help you through this.